the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We're looking at the true family of Jesus next on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. God said that David was a man after his own heart. Why? Because David lived in terms of this idea of adoption and property. When you read the Psalms, you see that David was conscious of the fact that God had claimed him as his son, even though he didn't deserve it. And as his son, he knew, he knew he was God's property. Go back and read the Psalms. It's all throughout. And God said of him, he is a man after my own heart because he will do my will. And that is the way a child of God who is the property of God lives. So the first thing you must understand in knowing the will of God and doing it is that you are God's child through faith in Christ and must see yourself as God's property. Here in Luke, as well as Mark chapter 3, there is a distinction of families. Today, we want to focus on the true family of Jesus. Welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Our time together will take us to Luke chapter 8, as well as Mark chapter 3. Recorded for us are two families, the blood family of Jesus, his brothers, sisters, mother, and then the true family, and what it means to be in that true family. As we begin our time together today, Pastor Gary Wagner contrasts the true family of Jesus with those outside of the family and the sad condition they're in. Here's Pastor Gary with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. You know, the poor unbeliever, he thinks he is his own man or her own woman, living their own lives however they choose. They, they, they think they are free to be themselves when they have no freedom at all. But they are under the control of Satan to do his will. And in such a way that he or she thinks they are doing their own will. But the other group of people are those whom God has rescued from Satan's snares, whom Christ plundered from Satan's house. And now you can recognize them because their goal and their purpose and their trait is not to do the will of Satan any longer, but to do the will of their Father who is in heaven. And obedience to their Father's will is sure evidence that they have been adopted into the true family of God. By their fruits, you shall know them. Not all human beings, as I said, are members of the family of God by virtue of the fact that they are human beings. All people have God as their creator. But the only people who can relate to God as their father and whom God relates to as their father are those whom God has adopted into his family and made his own. And there is always a telltale proof by which those who are members of the family of God can be identified. 
and that is from those from those who are those actually who are under the control of Satan, and that is their lives are characterized as doing the will of Almighty God, although they don't do it perfectly. That is clear proof. It's not some kind of feeling that we get. It's not a certain amount of knowledge that we might have. But the characteristic of every child of God is that he or she does the will of God in his or her life. Now let's be clear about this. This sure evidence is not a promise to do God's will, however sincerely it may be made. It's not a decision to do God's will. Beloved, you probably as well as I know I have, have known a lot of people who have made a decision to do God's will at least a thousand times, and they are still not doing God's will. It is not a promise. It's not a decision or desire to do God's will. It is doing God's will. This sure evidence of being a child of God is not talking about doing God's will, however knowledgeable about God's will one is. It doesn't matter how many times you've read Dr. Rush Dooney's Institutes of Biblical Law or Thomas Watson's book on the Ten Commandments or Martin Lloyd-Jones' book on the Sermon on the Mount because it is not the ability to talk about the will of God that is the mark of adoption into God's family. It is doing the will of God that is the mark of a true son or daughter of God. And this sure evidence is not studying about God's will, however diligent you study. It is doing the will of God that is the mark. This sure evidence is not simply wanting to do the will of God, however earnest one may be. This sure evidence is not occasionally doing the will of God when it is convenient. The sure evidence is an actual and constant purposing and endeavoring to do God's will instead of our own will. Whether we feel like it or not. That is the characteristic of a person rescued from Satan's house and made a member of God's family. Now let's go back to Luke. And let's see what the order of events in Luke chapter 8 tells us about the true family of God. Notice in verses 11 through 15. You have the explanation of the parable of the sower and the various soils. Then in verse 16 and 18 you have the lamp that enlightens in lightens the dark and shines all over the world. Then it is after those stories that you have people saying, Jesus to Jesus, his mother and brothers are outside. And Jesus says, my mother and brothers are those who do the will of my father. Now, what is the point Luke is making in his order of events? He is explaining the effect of the light of the gospel on a person. He has talked about the lamp that shines into a person's ears and hearts when he hears the word of God. And what kind of effect does that light have on a person who receives it properly? It makes him or her obedient to God's will. It's not simply that it makes him better equipped to out-argue with those who disagree with him. It's not that it makes that person more knowledgeable. It's that when the light of the gospel shines into a person's heart, it makes that person more obedient to the will of Almighty God. Not legalistically, but as a true member of God's family. That is, not to obey God to try and make points with Him to win His favor. Beloved, Jesus made all the points we need to win God's favor. It is to obey God as a loving child would obey his father. Then there's a second thing to notice from Luke's order of things. 
He is explaining the nature of the good soil that bore much fruit. Those hearers of the preached word of the kingdom who have heard the word with an honest and good heart prepared by God and they hold fast to it and bear fruit with perseverance will be people who submit themselves to God to obey His will, His revealed word. In fact, this obedience of life to the king and father literally forms them into a close-knit royal family with Jesus Christ himself. A kingdom family in which Christ is their king. And they are his loving and obedient servants and friends and children. As one commentator said, Jesus is saying here that he is, in the deepest sense, related not to those who, humanly speaking, were the most closely related to him physically, but to those who believed and obeyed the word of God, brought to them by him. So you see, just by looking at the order of things, it can bring out and highlight some of the great truths the gospel writers made. Now, let's compare Matthew, Mark, and Luke's account of Jesus' words. All three of these men under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, quoted Jesus, but with a little variance of purpose. And it's only, beloved, when you truly see the whole purpose that you can know what's going on here. Turn to Luke 8.21 and see how Luke quotes Jesus. He quotes Jesus as saying, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Mark chapter 3, verses 34 and 35 and looking about on those who, are, who were sitting around him, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. And then in Matthew 12, verses 49 and 50, he says, And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers, whoever shall do the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother, my sister, and my mother. Now notice how each writer quoted Jesus. Luke said those who obey the word of God are his closest kin. Matthew said those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven are Jesus' relatives. And Mark quotes Jesus as saying those who do the will of God are his brothers and mother. Now notice something about those three versions of Jesus' quote. Jesus said well, those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. He doesn't say those who do the will of our Father who is in heaven, although we are in the same family that Jesus is in. He is our big brother, and we're his little brothers and sisters. He didn't say those who do the will of our, our Father. In fact, Jesus never spoke of God as our Father, thus including himself and his disciples. He always spoke of my Father, he never put himself in the same category with Christians and spoke of God as our Father collectively. You say, well, Gary, I know a place where he did say, my Father, and that is in Matthew 6 where it says, our Father, which art in heaven. Okay, that's fine, but what does it say, the verse just before that? After this manner pray ye. This is the way you are to pray, says Jesus. I'm not going to pray like this. I don't have to ask for forgiveness of sins. This is the way I want you to pray. Now, there's a good point here. Jesus always called God my Father, never our Father. But he taught us as Christians to call him our Father. 
The point is this. We have God as our Father by adoption, by grace through faith. Jesus Christ is uniquely and eternally and essentially the Son of God. And God is His Father from all eternity as the first and second persons of the Trinity. And the only reason that God is our Father is because God is uniquely Jesus' Father. And we are by His grace in Christ. So God accepts us as His children and treats us like our Father because He is especially and eternally the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not because of anything in us, beloved. But I want you to notice another thing. Luke speaks of obeying the Word of God. And Matthew and Mark speak of doing the will of God. Now, why the difference there? Well, obviously they are synonymous phrases. But it makes this point. The Word of God is the will of God. The written Word of God in the Old Testament and the New Testament is the revelation of the will of God the Father for our lives so that we will know how to do His will on earth as it is in heaven. God's Word is God's will. Do you want to know what God's will is for your life? Do the Word of God just as it is revealed in Scripture. Because the written Word of God is the revelation of God's will for your life. And now He wants you to live out your life, the entirety of it, according to that will. This means that when we hear the Bible preached, it's not simply to make us feel more secure, nor is it only to know God and His ways for us, but we hear the preached Word of God to know His will for us. How God wants us to live day in and day out for the rest of our lives. What He expects of us. How He wants us to live and to think. Now, how are you and I to know the will of God? How are we to know the revealed will of God and all the details and decisions we have to make day in and day out so that we can do them effectively and consistently? Well, let me give you five principles here. You might take a pen and write these down. These are five principles of how to determine God's revealed will for your life. First, because you are God's child as a believer through faith in Christ, you must see yourself as God's property. This is the first principle in knowing and doing the will of God for your life day in and day out. Because you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you must see yourself as God's child, and as God's child, you are His property. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 14. These two principles come together in several places in the Bible, such as here in Deuteronomy 14, and I'll be reading verses 1 and 2. And they say, Ye are the children of the Lord your God. Ye shall not cut yourselves, nor shave your forehead for the sake of the dead. For you are a holy people unto the Lord your God. You have been separated to be a child of God. And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for His own possession out of all the peoples that are on the face of the earth. Now notice what he says. Because you are the sons and daughters of God, don't live the way the pagans live. Don't have any unnecessary cuts or defacing of the physical body. 
Don't share the extreme funeral practices of the Canaanites because you belong not to this wicked world, this wicked culture, but to the Lord God himself. And therefore you are a holy people separated unto me. He has chosen you, beloved. He's made you his child that you can be his own personal property. In other words, God owns all of his children. God owns everything about you and I. He has a total claim on us and everything we are and everything we have. Therefore, we are to live exclusively in terms of his will. In in fact, God has a triple claim on us. We are his by virtue of creation. He made us in his image that we might live for him. He has a claim on us by virtue of his covenant. You know, he, he came to Abraham in the year of Chaldees, that great moon-worshipping, idolatrous culture. And he said, in essence, to Abraham, I want you to follow me. I want you to get out of here. I want you to follow in my footsteps. And you and your descendants will be mine. And he has a claim on us by virtue of redemption. By the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we have been purchased for God. And we do not belong to ourselves, beloved. Therefore, we must learn to view ourselves as God's children, as his property. We must learn to view our time, our energy, our money, our possessions, our families, not as our own personal property to be used in whatever way we want, but as God's property to be used whatever way he wants. Now, all of this may seem so obvious to you, but we need to remind ourselves of these things because God's claim is totally upon us. And you see, we forget as we get all tangled up in our daily lives. Remember, my house is God's house. My money is God's money. I can't just go out and spend it any way I want. I can't continue to allow myself to get into debt for things. My, my house is God's house, beloved. My car is God's car. My investments are God's investment. My time is God's time. My strength is God's strength. My family is God's family. And all of these things that he has claim over, we must use them and enjoy them only in this life according to his will, not ours. God said that David was a man after his own heart. Why? Because David lived in terms of this idea of adoption and property. When you read the Psalms, you see that David was conscious of the fact that God had claimed him as his son, even though he didn't deserve it. And as his son, he knew, he knew he was God's property. Go back and read the Psalms. It's all throughout. And God said of him, he is a man after my own heart because he will do my will. And that is the way a child of God, who is the property of God, lives. So the first thing you must understand in knowing the will of God and doing it is that you are God's child through faith in Christ and must see yourself as God's property. Second, if you're going to know and to do God's will, you must earnestly and expectantly seek the knowledge of His will from the Bible and the wisdom to do that will from God through prayer. And in fact, that's what God taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
If we are going to do God's will on earth as it is in heaven, we must know what God's will is in order to do that will, right? So Jesus is saying, do you want to know what God's will is and do it? Then earnestly pray and cry out to God to help you read and understand the Bible correctly. Such as, give me the wisdom and skills, O Lord, and the courage to put your word into effect in my life, that I might do your will. Look at Colossians chapter 1. Here's a great prayer that Paul prays for the Christians in Colossae. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now Paul is praying here. He's praying that God would give the Colossae Christians knowledge, that God would help them to know Him better and be more understanding concerning His will for their life. So that, why? So they may walk the way He wants them to walk and bear the fruit that He wants them to bear. So if you want to do God's will, you must be in constant contact with Him, crying out to them, Lord, give me knowledge, give me wisdom, show me how to do Your will, tell me how to apply Your Word to my life. Third principle. If you're going to know and do God's will in your life, you must continually devote your life to Jesus Christ, to His service, and to be governed by His will. If you're going to continually do God's will in your everyday life, you must every day devote your life to Christ, to His service, and be governed by His will. Romans 12, 1, through, and 1 and 2 says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, says Paul, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And you must do this every day of your life, beloved. Not just once. Oh, you know, I did that 26 years ago when I became a Christian. No. We are to keep on presenting ourselves. Keep on every day saying, Lord, I give myself to you afresh. I lay aside all claims on my own life and I put myself on the altar. I sacrifice myself and abandon all claims on myself and I pray that you will use me to do your will. Beloved, without that mindset, without that mentality, you are not going to be able to know or do God's will in your life. Fourth, Maintain a repentant and a teachable spirit so that you are always ready and eager and in a position to be taught God's word by Christ's spirit. One of the reasons we don't know God's will for our lives is that we are not in a condition for God to teach us because we're not humble and we're not repenting of our sins. And if we expect God to lead us in the doing of his will, then we must maintain a teachable spirit, always ready and eager to do whatever He wants us to do. Let me read you some verses from Psalm 143. It's a great psalm of prayer for deliverance and guidance, and it is very worthy of considerable meditation, beloved. David is praying in verses 5 and 6, and he says, 
I remember the days of old. I meditate on all thy doings. I muse on the work of thy hands. My soul longs for thee as a parched land. David says, as, as, says many hours of my day are spent meditating on the goodness and the greatness and the majesty and the grace of Almighty God. Brethren, we must meditate on the things that God is doing in our lives. That's important in knowing God's will. Lift up your heart and your hands to Him, saying, Here I am again, Lord. I've been thinking about you again today. I love you, Lord, and I give myself to you afresh. Well, this has been Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor, Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church here in San Jose. As always, it's a delight spending time with you here in God's Word. And if today's program has been especially helpful to you, we'd love to hear about it. Would you take a moment and contact us? Let us know how the program is encouraging you in Christ. It would mean a great deal to us. From time to time, we'd like to know how the program is being used by God. And that would be a great gauge for us. A quick letter or a phone call. Here's how to contact us, 408-866-5607. That's our phone number, 408-866-5607. Or you can write to us at PMB, that's PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Again, that's PMB for post mailbox, number 402. 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032 is the zip code. If you'd like to know more about Reformed Heritage Church of San Jose or Pastor Gary Wagner and Abounding Grace, you can visit our website, reformedheritage.org. That's reformedheritage.org. And leave us an email when you stop by. Let us know you paid us a visit. You're also welcome to, again, call. That phone number is 408-866-5607. If you'd like a copy of today's program, by the way, mention today's date when you contact us, and we'll get a copy out to you. The cost is $5, and any amount you send above and beyond cost of resource materials will go right back into the radio program, as this is a listener-supported ministry. We're able to continue our daily presence here on this station as you continue to support us financially and prayerfully. We appreciate your help in this endeavor. Thank you again. For further information, reformedheritage.org or 408-866-5607. Until next time, God bless.